0: Last week, uh, we started a new message series on salvation. We started this message series, and I've been talking about what it means to be saved, about salvation. Um, And last week, I spoke that being saved is, at the same time, a past reality, a present reality, and a future reality. Now, as I, if you've been around, you'll know that I, I've, I've mentioned uh, or spoken about a few words that I'm going to talk about in the next uh, couple of weeks, next three weeks. So the, in the next three weeks, I'm, I'm going to talk about doctrine. Doctrine uh, is what I want to talk about. I think doctrine is important for any church, and, and we need to have an understanding of what doctrine is all about. Doctrine, the, the meaning of this term is really just teaching. It means teaching. So doctrine, uh, from a Christian point of view, is derived from the Holy Scriptures. So what Christian doctrine tries to do or tries to explain in a responsible way is the message of the gospel, right? The message of the gospel and the content of our faith. Now, as Christians, we don't go off on our own and formulate our own doctrines, right? We don't go off and do that as individuals. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ is going to live, as, live their life as the member as a member of his body. Right? Where you're going to be the bo- part of the body of Christ, part of the church. Um, and it's in the church that doctrine has come through the church. It's comes, come through people who've spent time discussing these things, uh, thinking about them, and with the revelation of the Holy Spirit, we've seen doctrinal teaching come f- through the church. So doctrine is something that is important. Don't go to sleep this morning, right? Because doctrine is important. It summarizes for the church what Scripture is trying to tell us. And so it makes it easier for us to understand the message so that it can bring forth some kind of action in our lives, so that it can bring forth some fruit in the lives of God's people. But when it comes to doctrine, we also need to pay attention to what is being taught to make sure that it is, in fact, biblical. Because not all doctrine is correct. Go to the book of Ephesians where Paul warns the church at Ephesus. He says, be careful not to be swept away by every wind of doctrine. And so what he's talking about there is false teaching. And there's still a lot of false teaching around the world and around the church today. And so what we have to to be, uh, really we need to be mature believers so that we can discern what is of God and what isn't and reject that which is false. And that's why I think it's so important to be involved in a local church that cares about doctrine. To be involved in a church that uh, has um, elders who are responsibly uh, studying the word. People who can shepherd us as a church in a proper way. Okay, so I am, like I said, I'm going to use three big words over the next um, three weeks. I'm going to dive into the doctrines of justification today. Sanctification next week, sanctification, and then glorification the week after. Are you ready? All right, let's pray before we do it. Holy Spirit, we ask right now that you would enlighten the eyes of our understanding, that you would open our ears to receive these words today, and that you would teach us. God, help us to be a people who seek to do your will at all times. Help us be a people who will sing to you. Not holding back, but sing to you. People who will confess you from our hearts. the people who will give praise to your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Jack, that's like justification. Justification. Anybody ever heard of this word? Anybody read anything about this word? One hand. I see one hand. Two, three, four. Wow, I've got five, six, seven hands. Okay. Five, eight hands. <laughs> okay, Justification. If you've ever wondered, how is it that I'm saved? Right? This is what the doctrine of justification explains. How is it that we are saved? Justification explains what makes us right with God. The Apostle Paul wrote these words to the Ephesians church in Ephesians 2 verse 8. He said, for by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace, you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Now, there are two words that really stand out for me in this verse, and those words are the words grace and faith. What is grace? What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. Am I right? God's unmerited favor. What do I mean by unmerited favor? It means that God is being favorable towards you and you've done nothing to deserve it. God's unmerited favor. So grace is God's kind disposition towards sinful people who can't get their act together. It's God's good disposition towards people who can't obey. People who can't find their way to Him. And so God's grace is is God's activity of good To those whose activity is bad. Grace is being good to those who are undeserving. Grace is an outpouring of good when really only outrage is deserved. So, grace is the unmerited favor of God. What about faith? Well, it says here that by grace you have been saved. So, grace is the basis of salvation. Grace is the basis of salvation. Faith is the instrument of salvation. Faith is what lays hold of grace, right? Faith is the hand that reaches out and grabs. Faith is trusting that there is a God. Faith is trusting this man Jesus. Trusting that what he spoke about, the kingdom of God, is is true. uh, Trusting that my faith in him is going to change my life now, and it's also going to secure my eternal destiny in time to come. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 5, in, in the first two verses. He wrote, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we are justified by faith, by our faith which lays hold of that grace, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Now, these two passages of scripture, and in fact there are many others, Galatians and other places in the New Testament, all of these scripture scriptures form the basis of this doctrine of justification. And the Christian life is based on the grace of God in, in Jesus to whom we are united by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We, we, we live in the grace of God because we've been united to Jesus in the power of the Spirit. And It begins with justification and continues in sanctification, where in the power of the Spirit, our lives get transformed into the likeness of Christ. But the door, the the opening, the first moment of the process in salvation is our justification. It's our justification. So justification, if we go to that next slide there, Jack, is God's gracious forgiveness of sins that is received by faith. God has graciously forgiven us of our sins, and we receive that by faith. Now, I'm sure for many of you who've been around the church for quite a while, you'll know that through the centuries, this doctrine of justification has been explained as a legal declaration from God, right? that you are innocent of faith. And often the picture that gets used to kind of explain this, is, or the illustration, is of a judge standing in a court. And you are the guilty one. You are the one who stands accused before the judge in the court. And so the judge looks at you and says, you're guilty. And you have to pay the penalty, right? And the penalty for your wrongdoing is $1,000, for example. And then what the judge does is says, this is the penalty you have to pay. And then the judge takes off of his robes and his funny hat that all of these people wear, these judges and things, and he puts it aside and says, But I'm going to come down and I'm going to sign the check on your behalf. I'm going to pay the penalty on your behalf. That's the picture of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. He took our sin upon himself. We stand accused because of the sinful condition in which we find ourselves. So justification is about being acquitted of your sin and made right with God. Your sins are now forgiven. Are you with me? When Jesus died on that cross, He died for the sin of every human being. And God allowed Jesus to die, really, a death that we deserve because of our sinful condition. So God paid the ultimate price by allowing his son to die in our place. So when you and I put our faith in Christ Jesus, it's our faith that's going to lay hold of that grace. We put our faith in Christ Jesus and we make him the Lord of our lives we're given justification we're given freedom from the guilt of sin we can walk free because jesus took that death penalty for us now dealing with our sin is quite an important thing because sin brings death death is something that is spread to all of humanity it's spread to humanity as an inevitable consequence of our fallen nature right all of us are or were under the threat of death because we've personally rebelled against God. We've rebelled against the author of life. Who here this morning is sinless? I see no hands. So we all stand accused of being sinful before God, right? We've rebelled against God. And so that's why it's important for us to understand why we need to deal with the sin issue. Now if you go back to the original language in which the New Testament was written the Greek you'll find that the word for justification is essentially the same word for righteousness the word in the Greek I can't remember what it is but it is it means both justification and righteousness so if you are justified then you are made righteous you are made right if God declares you justified then you are being declared righteous and God wouldn't declare you to be something if if, if you aren't, right? His, his his declarations are a reality. It's not a legal fiction. This is real. So what we are saved from here is the key issue. Although salvation brings liberation from the guilt of sin through righteousness, right? In In other words, I'm Andrew, by the way. That's my name. And I stand before you this morning... No longer guilty of a sinful condition? why am I no longer guilty of a sinful condition because because of god's grace, because of God's grace, which I've appropriated by faith, I've made a choice with my life to accept Jesus, to put my trust in him and to believe in him. so that salvation frees me from the dead of sin but that's that's not the whole story with salvation. Salvation is also about incorporation because of this death problem, and that 's why uh, I mentioned last week about the importance of baptism, right? Because when you go through the waters of baptism, it's, there is something of the physical interacting with the spiritual. We do not live in just an empirical, tangible, physical world. There is a spiritual environment around us, and too many of us are not awake to that. And this is what baptism signifies. We are incorporated into Christ Jesus by baptism. Paul explains this in Romans 5 where he says it's like us going through the, uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus. We, that's what it symbolizes. As we go down into that water, we are, leaving, we are going to leave behind all of that sinful condition, everything that's wrong about us. And we come up out of that water a new creation, the Bible teaches us. We come out a new person just as jesus went into, was taken off of that cross when he died and was put into that tomb and came out of that tomb on the third day a new person a new creation a, a, a resurrected being this is what baptism signifies right this is why it's important because we are incorporated into christ we die and we rise with him which means that we too will be saved from death death could not hold jesus he conquered it so we too will be saved from death saved from death we are freed From the ultimate consequence of sin and guilt, because of this gift of God's love, which was expressed in the death of his son, Jesus. It's a gift to which we respond by faith. That response of faith, right, of trusting or or believing, through the action of the indwelling Holy Spirit, enables us to ultimately share in the resurrection and glorification of Jesus. So death cannot hold us. And what's going to happen to us because of what has happened to Jesus and because my faith is in Jesus, that means that death is not going to hold me and I too, one day, will receive a resurrected body. Yes, this body might drop and die one day and be gone, but that's not the end of the story, according to Scripture. In the new creation, at the end of this age, I will be resurrected. I will have a resurrected body. I will have a transfigured body like that of Jesus in the new creation. And the new creation is where everything is heading towards. Too many Christians don't know the full story. Wow, well, i die and I go to heaven and that's the end of the story. No, it's not. The whole of creation is going to be redeemed and restored and renewed. That's the story of Scripture. What was lost in paradise will be regained at the end. And that's where the whole of history is moving towards. And that's why I need to deal with my sin issue. Because I want to be with God in that new creation. I do not want to be separated from God. That's why we looked at John 3.16 last week and, and we read those words. God does not want anyone to perish, but all who believe in him to have eternal life. Oh, you are with me. Okay. So, here's my first question to you. How does justification or righteousness come? How does that come to me? Faith. Right. Good. Good answer. That's the correct answer. Well done. Justification and righteousness comes through a response of faith. A response of faith. But here is where things get a little tricky for many Christians. What is faith? Is faith just about believing? Is that what faith is? It's just like, I believe? I don't think so. I, I, it's, to me, it's not only to believe. I, I, it can't be just that. You see, righteousness does not reduce only to what you think is true. Right? Even if you're passionate in your belief about it, it cannot, it cannot just be reduced to what you, what you think or what you believe. We've got to remember that even the demons know the truth. Demons probably know the truth better than most of us. So faith has to be more than just mental assent. It's got to be more than mental agreement. Faith is active. It's got to be active. It's a commitment of holding on to the object of that faith. That's what faith is. That's what real faith is. I'm going to take hold of that object in which I am placing my faith. And for Christians, that means I'm going to hold on to Jesus Christ. I'm not just going to say I believe in Jesus. Man, I'm going to hold on to all of who Jesus is. And I'm going to say, Jesus, I want you in my life. And I want to be like you. That's taking a hold of the object of my faith. So, if that's the case, someone who is truly faithful to Jesus is righteous. Yes, justification and righteousness is in no way dependent on us. There's nothing we can do to earn it. It is a free gift. We are justified by grace through our faith. All we can do is respond to God. But that response of faith is more than just believing. And that's why I say it gets a bit tricky over here. Because it comes down to what two gentlemen wrote in their contribution to the New Testament. One guy's name was Paul and the other guy's name was James. Anybody read what Paul had to say? Anybody ever read your Bible? Anybody ever read James, what James had to say? Let me try and explain here. You see, because, because of what these two guys wrote, the church for centuries has grappled with what our response to the grace of God should be because of what these two guys said in, in their contribution to the New Testament. Is, is it faith alone? Is it faith alone, like in just believing, or are works involved? And what I mean by works is, do we actually have to do something when it comes to being saved? Can I just say, I believe I'm saved. Or is there something that I need to do to follow through in, in, in that belief to, to ensure that salvation right, applies to my life? Let's look at what they wrote. Paul writes this in Romans 3.28. He says, for we hold that a person is justified by faith. Apart from works, Paul says, prescribed by the law. Right? A person is justified by faith apart from works. And in Ephesians chapter 2, we've just read verse 8, let's read verse 9. Paul says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not the result of works, Paul says, so that no one may boast. And Paul actually speaks about this in other places, Galatians and a few other places in the New Testament. But James comes along and James says this in James chapter 2. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Surely that faith cannot save, can it? Can that kind of faith save, James says, if it's not got works with it? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill and yet you don't do anything to supply their needs? What's the good of that, James asks. And so he says, so faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. In other words, somebody comes in and James is saying, they, they say they have faith and, and, and he has works. And he says, well, show me your faith apart from works. Show me your faith without any works. That's what he says. And then he says, listen, and I... I by my works will show you my faith. By my works you'll see my faith. He says, "You believe that God is one; you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder." And then he goes, "I think James gets a bit irritated, yeah." He says, "Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is worthless?" He's like, he's really getting annoyed. Like, don't you get it already, you senseless person? I w- think if it's in the Bible, I could use those words because I sometimes think I come across senseless people. Anyway, he says. You want to be shown that faith apart from works is worthless? He says, was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? He says, you see that that faith was active along with his works. And by works, faith was brought to completion. And so the scripture was fulfilled that says that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It was accounted to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Quite a passage of James is really going for it, isn't he? I mean, what's going on over here? Paul says we are justified by faith and not works, and James says we are justified by faith and works. What's the deal? Was Paul a Protestant? James maybe a Roman Catholic? How do we make sense of this apparent contradiction? Well, here's what's going on. When it comes to Paul, Paul is asking the question, how are we made right with God? That's his question. How are we made right with God? James is asking a different question. James' question is, what does genuine faith look like? So Paul's going, how are we made right with God? And James is going, what does genuine faith look like? For Paul, the issue was not um, about works because there was a problem in the first century. If we go back to the first century, the very first Christians were Jewish Christians. And all of these Gentiles, these non-Jews, were coming into the church. And the early Jewish Christians had an understanding of what had to be done. right? They had an understanding of how to live, and you had to live according to the law. And so all of these new Jewish Christians were going, well, these Gentile Christians, these non-Jewish Christians now in this new faith should be doing the same things that we are doing in order to have a right standing with God. And Paul comes along and says, no, 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 no. It's not by works, it's only by faith. And so the point that Paul is making is that faithfulness to Christ is not the same thing as faithfulness to the law of Moses. You can fulfill the works of the law and not be faithful to Christ. In other words, you can go and be a good Jew and follow all of the rules and still not be faithful to Jesus. It's only in your faithfulness to Jesus that you are made righteous. For James, the issue was, why are these new Christians in this church not caring for their brothers and sisters? What's wrong with these Christians? I can't see anything happening through their lives. James was talking about the problems of... um, the poor being dishonoured and, and and the favoured uh, the rich being favoured and so uppermost in his mind was this concern that that these Christians weren't actually loving people as they should love them. So Paul and James are actually addressing different concerns. And one thing we also need to note about James is that he presupposes the importance of faith. He presupposes that we we, got, we can't miss this. He wants faith to be demonstrated. By works, that, that's, that's his point over here. But in verse 18, he says, Show me your, fa- your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So he presupposes the importance of faith. Faith is an, an essential ingredient. Is it too heavy for a Sunday morning? Are you tracking? It's important that, that we get this, that we've got to dive deeper. Remember at the beginning of this year, I said to this church, by the end of the year, we want to look back and we want to say, I've grown. I've grown in the things of God. That means sometimes you've got to pay more attention to this than the rugby or the Formula One or the cricket. Okay? Let's, let's, let's put a little equation here on the screen, a little salvation equation. Right? Let's, say, let's just say justification equals faith and works. Paul comes along and he's saying, don't you dare put the W in the equation. That's what he said. Don't you dare. If you put the W in the equation, that's the teaching of the devil. Don't you dare do it. Don't you dare say that faith plus works brings justification. This is Paul's concern. He says, if you do that, if you put that W in that equation, you lose the message of the gospel. That's what Paul's saying. And James comes along and says, don't you dare leave the W out. Don't you dare leave the W out. Who do you think you are? right? If, you, if you're saying that justification equals only faith, and then you go about living your life without any change, without any evidence of change, well, that's completely wrong. You've got to include the, include the W. James comes along and he wants to see a life that produces works. So here's what we need to understand. James and Paul use works in two different ways. If you read Romans 3.28, very carefully, you see that Paul speaks about the work, works of the law. James just speaks about works. James presupposes the importance of faith. So James's concern is different to Paul's. Paul is talking about the works of the law. See, Paul says it's not about works, right? That's not going to earn your salvation. The Jewish Christians would come along and the Gentiles would be coming into the church and they'd be saying, are you circumcised? That, Because... They had to be circumcised. So they were, if you come in and, well, I'm not circumcised, they wanted those Gentiles to go off and get the cut. Painful process if you're an adult, I think. That was the law. For the Jews, it was about the holy days, right? The holy days and all the rituals around that. Or, or, or the Jews, you'll know, had certain laws that they had to observe when it came to food. You can eat this, you can't eat that, that you can eat, that this you can't eat. They had the laws around those things. And so um, for many of those Jews, uh, the works of the law became more important than their confidence in Jesus. It became about the religious processes. They made it all about the law. And Paul was saying, no, it's not. It's not all about that. James comes along and he talks about works of faith, acts of charity. It's clear from the context that he's thinking about what do you do for someone Who's struggling? If you're a Christian and you see a brother or sister in the church and you know they're doing it hard, they're doing it tough, they don't have enough food, they don't have enough clothing, they've got problems, what are you doing about it? What sort of faith produces what sort of work in a particular situation? That's his question. If you've got faith, then it should be producing some kind of work to address the situation. And they also use the word justify in two different ways. Paul is dealing with people who trust in the works of the law for their standing with God. And James is dealing with people who think that merely agreeing, merely saying, I believe, giving their intellectual assent, makes them a true Christian. And so into each situation, they speak about what justifies you. Paul uses this word justify in a legal declaration of righteousness. Paul comes and says, what does the judge say about you? You're justified. You're acquitted. You're innocent. It's counted to you as righteousness. And so he uses justification as a legal declaration. I am the righteousness of Christ. James is talking about practical evidence that your faith is real. You you might think um, with James not of justification as a legal declaration, but as proof, as evidence, right? not as declaration, but as demonstration. And so there's no real conflict here between Paul and James. It's right to say that we are justified by faith, provided we understand what James means when he says we are not justified by faith alone. He means we are not justified uh, before God. We are not made righteous before God with an idle faith. We are not justified by mere intellectual agreement. That's why I put out that little blog thing this week on YouTube about the sinner's prayer. Because far too many Christians are sitting in churches today where they've gone, I've prayed the prayer, yeah, I believe, I'm going to heaven, I've got my ticket, I'm good with Jesus. And there's nothing that changes in their life. Their faith is not demonstrated through works, it's not demonstrated through life change. They sit in churches, they don't contribute to the life of the church. They see people around them who are struggling, they, well, I'll pray for you, they might, they'll might. they say it, but they don't even do it. And, and, and that's the question. Is that, is, that, is that the faith that produces righteousness? So the big idea here is that we don't reduce our faith to a mere mental acceptance. Because as James says, faith without works is dead. The contrast here is not between a living faith that works and a living faith that doesn't. It's between a living faith and a dead faith. Does faith save? Yes, it does, but not without works. So here's what we need to know about justification. We are saved by faith, but faith and works are inseparable. It's not that um, I'm a faith Christian and you're a works Christian, right? I believe things and, and you do things. No, the Bible is teaching us over here that Christians do both. There's no such thing as a Christian that does not have faith and, wo- uh, faith and works together. But we also need to understand, like Paul's saying, that nothing we can ever do earns us our, sal- our salvation. Nothing can earn me salvation. It's by grace alone, through faith in Jesus, not because of anything that I've done. It's by grace alone through faith in Jesus that we are accepted by God and receive the Holy Spirit who renews our hearts and equips us and calls us to do good works. This the, the Christian walk is not a... Jesus is not my daddy. Jesus is not my... Yeah, bless me, bless me, guy. Jesus calls me to lay down my life. Jesus comes and says, Pick up your cross. Jesus comes and says hey, my way is a very narrow way. The other way is a very broad way. The gate that you want to get through is the very narrow gate, so you need to make sure you're paying attention to the journey that you're on. And far too many Christians, folk, listen to me today, far too many Christians are on that broad way, happy-go-lucky, I said the prayer, I'm good with God, and they don't even know that they're heading in the complete wrong direction. And so they never really come to a place of taking God seriously. They never come to a place of saying, I want the Spirit of God in my life. They never come to a place of thinking about their eternal destiny. And even though the end of the age might be still a long time away, you don't know what's around the corner when it comes to your life. In November last year, I went back to South Africa and I had a great time with my brother and a few weeks later, he was gone. Nobody knew. Nobody expected it was like that. His eternal destiny came into play very, very quickly. And my heart, My heart breaks when I come across so many Christians who say, yeah, yeah, I'm good with God and everything, but there's no demonstration of faith in their life. You've got to get real. We've all got to get real. None of us is perfect, but we've got to be real about who Jesus is and about what our faith is all about. If God had to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? Why should I let you into my good heaven? What would you say to him? Uh, I try to be a good Christian. I went to church, Lord. I even helped put out chairs in the church. I, 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 I gave the church money. God, I, I was in a small group. I tried to be a good person. Is that what you would say to God if, you, if he said, why should I let you into, into my into my heaven, my paradise? Well, if you said anything like that, it would be the wrong answer. What you'd want to be saying is saying, but God, I'm justified by faith, justified by grace you've extended to me because of my faith in you. That's the answer. God be saying, come in. For the person who's coming along and saying, but but I did this, and I did that. It's nothing to do with what you've done. It's about understanding the right and having the right belief but when it comes to po- to works the point about works is that true christianity is never invisible so when it comes to works we actually need to ask ourselves does my life reflect the gospel of jesus christ does my speech does my conduct make it easier for people to meet jesus or harder for people to meet jesus if somebody's going to reject christianity would they look look at my life and go man I can't deny that there's something about this guy's life. There's some change in his life and and that's got to make me think twice about this. Or do they look at my life and say, look at that person. What's what's the point of this Jesus thing? There's no point. There's no change in this guy's life. Why would I be interested? Or what about this? If, If you didn't speak for a week, would people have any reason to guess that you're a Christian? How's your life different for being a Christian? Or maybe the harder question is, how is someone else's life different because you are a Christian to them? You see, faith without works is dead. Salvation is accomplished by grace in response to faith. But that faith cannot be passive. It has to express itself. Not merely by confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior. Yes, you've got to do that. But it's also in the feeding and the clothing and the visiting and the otherwise caring for the least of these, to use the words of Jesus. Okay, what, what's the exact right time? Is it quarter two? Am I, am I watch? Hey? Eh? Twelve minutes, too. I've got twelve minutes. Thank you. For the last twelve minutes, I'm just going to change gears here and just come at the doctrine of justification in a different way. Although this doctrine tells me how it is that I'm saved and I'm made right with God, I think there is another way in which this doctrine has enormous relevance for all of us today. You know, if you think about this, there are many ways in which we try to justify ourselves. Many many ways in which we try to justify our lives. There are lots of things that we do to show our lives as acceptable or meaningful. Right? Right? We do these things, and, and, and not only because of ourselves, but maybe for other people, and maybe even God. There are many ways in which we try to justify ourselves, and, and, and we don't necessarily do it through, through good works. It's not about good works. It's, it's, just, it's about plain hard work. I want to justify that I'm good enough. I want to show my boss, and so it's plain hard work that I'm going to, that I'm going to show him that I'm going to justify myself, or by acts that we think are going to gain us approval in the eyes of others. So there are many ways in which we try to justify ourselves. And I and, and I don't think any of us is immune from a desire for approval or acceptance. None of us likes being rejected. I mean, who is entirely immune for from a desire for approval? Or who doesn't get anxious about being rejected? And in our world today, this this quest for acceptance and the drive to succeed borders on idolatry in, in this Competitive society that we live in these days. And so, both as individuals and as a people, we want recognition. In fact, many of us are driven by it. We're driven by the desire to make it, right, to feel valued, to be accepted, to be loved. And when we look around the world in which we live, we see everybody kind of searching for that. I've got to find it, I've got to have it, I've got to do it, because that's going to make me feel like I'm good. I'm accepted. I'm important. There's this ongoing search. Australia, as a nation, had a big vote last week on this exact issue. People seeking recognition. And in fact, the world right now is full of people crying out. I'm somebody. I'm important. Israelis. Palestinians Ukrainians Russians North American Indians Australian Aboriginals I mean anyone who thinks that the doctrine of justification has little relevance for people in our sophisticated world who are captive to all kinds of addictions whether it's money or work or leisure or fame or sex or drugs if, if If you think the doctrine of justification has no relevance, you really are out of touch because people are trying to find meaning. They're looking for something. I think the most powerful expression of this doctrine of justification are these words. You are accepted. You are accepted. You are accepted by a power that is greater than you. And this is why we believe. This is why we have faith. Because it's an appropriate response of trust and acceptance of God's unconditional acceptance of us. You are important. We are all somebodies. We are not nobodies. We are of worth despite the negative evaluations of the world around us. Despite even our own negative self evaluation In fact, this is why here at Renew, when you came through that door, there's a poster there where there are three spiritual formation distinctives here at Renew. This is why at Renew, one of our spiritual formation distinctives is to learn to love ourselves well. To learn to love ourselves well. To affirm our worth and uniqueness. Why? Because we are accepted. We are of worth. Not because our employer says so. Not because my teacher says so. Not because the prime minister or the government says so. No, we are somebodies because God, our creator and our redeemer, says so. It's because we are creatures made in the divine image. We are children of God for whom Jesus Christ suffered and died and was raised again. People in whom the Spirit of God is at work. And that makes me somebody, not nobody. The biblical message of justification affirms your dignity and worth. And all you've got to do is reach out by faith to receive that. And so far from being irrelevant, this biblical message of justification by grace is powerful if you believe by faith, and it will be revolutionary in your life. Really and truly it will. So as I come to an end, if there's anything you need to remember today, it's this. It's that your worth is not determined by what you achieve, or by where you live, or by what's been given to you, or even by what's been taken from you. Your identity and value is given to you by God, who loves you, who affirms you, who accepts you as you are, whoever you may be. Because God in Jesus Christ has said yes to you. You are not a nobody. You are a somebody. And that's why Jesus went to that cross. And he says, please understand that there's a bigger story going on It's not just your little life. There's a much bigger story, a much more important story going on and you need to get to grips with it. So my prayer for all of us is that we can stand in a place of justification. I'm not guilty before God because of what Jesus has done, because of God's grace, which I've appropriated through Jesus by faith. I stand righteous before God. I am the righteousness of Christ. I'm still on a journey, for sure, but I know who I am and I know what it's about.